The following message, titled, Singing and Praying to a Triune God, How to Celebrate Trinity Sunday Every Week, was given by Bob Coughlin at the Worship God 15 Triune Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information and resources from the conference, visit www.worshipgodconference.com. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And what a rich time we've been enjoying at this conference. Uh, I've just been grateful for the opportunity, and I trust you have too, to, to reflect on and, and revel in just God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're learning, I trust, we're beginning to see more clearly how that truth affects every part of our lives. There's nothing that's unaffected by the fact that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And tonight, if you follow the, the succession of, of uh, the messages, you're starting to piece together, well, you know, we started with delighting in the Trinity, then Jared spoke to us on the, the Trinity and the cross, and then CJ uh, fed us with the word on knowing God as Father, and then uh, Ray this morning spoke to us on the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And then uh, HB uh, addressed us on how the, the, our, our, our unity springs from the unity of the Godhead. And you're, you might be thinking, well, like, what's left? I mean, <laughs> Father, Son, Spirit, unity. Well, what I want to speak to us tonight about is what the Trinity means for when we gather to worship God in song and prayer, because we, we, can, we can think about these things and, and we're affected in different ways, but if we go away not recognizing, well, what does this do for us in our meetings? How does this change what we do there? Then we haven't quite gotten everything that, that I hope we get from this conference. When we gather, our hearts are moved, our minds are instructed, we, in, we encounter God in His glory, His power, His beauty, and we see the, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, we've experienced so many times just here, and the same thing happens in our local churches. We gather and we experience the glory of God, the mercy of Christ, the, 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 the power of His Spirit as we sing. And it's wonderful. But it's not always wonderful. And what do we do with that? Well, I think it might be helpful to compare what we do, what we think are not so wonderful times, with how it was going on back in the 17th century, when congregational singing wasn't really good. Um, because of a lack of general musical knowledge, the singing frequently involved the practice of lining out. Andrew Wilson Dixon, in A Brief History of Christian Music, describes lining out this way. Now picture this. This is a description of the meeting. Each line of the psalm verse was recited and often sung by the leading voice, which the congregation would then follow. Both leader and individual members of the congregation tended to take their own time, and a very long time indeed it was, perhaps half a minute for each line. Where harmonization was attempted, <laughs> it's always bad when harmonization is attempted, <laughs> it was unsupported by any organ or instruments, probably improvised, and most, most unlikely to conform to the four parts of a printed book. The slow pace of the singing allowed the possibility of decoration and ornamentation of the melody by extra notes, though these might be spontaneously and simultaneously created by several singers at once. The result was a kind of semi-improvised semi chaos. Now hopefully that doesn't sound anything like your church, but it was happening in the 17th century and it, it wasn't good. So in Ephesians 5, we're going to look at verses 15 through 21. Paul is going to show us a better way to think about the way we sing. And it's a way that, that opens our hearts to see how the Father, Son, and Spirit help us in 
our weakness. For a little context, since the beginning of chapter 4, the middle of chapter 4 rather, Paul's been contrasting the behavior of those who know Christ and those who don't. Of those who are darkened in their understanding and alienated from God and those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Those who are dead in their sins and those who are alive in Christ. Those who are in light and those who are in darkness. The new self and the old self. And we arrive at verse 15, and Paul uses three new contrasts to distinguish God's people from the world. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll, we'll explore it. This is chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 15 through 21. This is the Word of God. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just pray. Father, we heard this morning how anything done in the flesh doesn't last, it's useless. And so we ask that you would, by your Spirit, grant us grace tonight. Grant me grace to preach faithfully your word, and grant us grace to hear, and to be encouraged, and to be lifted up, and to be built into you that we might more effectively serve our churches, that we might more passionately love you. And we thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first contrast in verse 16 is don't walk as unwise, but as wise. So Christians are supposed to be wise. We are to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. So if we're wise, we will seek to make the best use of our time, or as another translation says, to redeem the time. We will buy back from an evil culture that we live in the time that we have and seek to let the light of Christ shine on us, in us, and through us. That's what it means to be wise. And then in verse 17, Paul introduces a second contrast. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And just a few verses earlier, he admonished us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So for Paul, and in Scripture, living a godly life isn't just a matter of doing the right things. We aren't simply being upright, good, moral citizens. We're aiming to please the Lord. Our motivation matters. We want to know the Lord's will, to delight what he delights in, to hate what he hates, and to love what he loves. So Paul is, is encouraging the Ephesians. God is encouraging us to know what it is the Lord desires. And then we reach verses 18 through 21 in the third contrast which is probably the most startling. Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we know what it means to be drunk with wine, but what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I've always thought that being filled with the Spirit was speaking to us as individuals, and as we're filled with the Spirit, we then can address one another in song, sing to the Lord, be thankful, and submit to others. 
But as I looked at this passage, I learned that the command is corporate. It's to, to all of us. And it's not, it's not an active verb. It's a passive voice. And it could be literally, you all let yourselves be filled with the Spirit. So all of you, this is for all of you, let yourselves be filled with the Spirit. And then the question arises, just how exactly are we to be filled with the Spirit? Paul doesn't say exactly. So maybe he's saying, surrender yourself to the Spirit, or, or ask for the Spirit, or, or maybe uh, have faith in God, or maybe in light of Colossians 3.16, which says, in line what, with what Ray Ortland taught us this morning, we're to be, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Maybe to be filled with the Spirit is to fill ourselves with the word of God. Well, the command to be filled with the Spirit can also be translated to be filled by the Spirit or to be filled by means of the Spirit, which actually helps me because if, if we take it that way, we get a sense that has more to do with the Spirit's aim in filling us, what the Spirit wants to do in filling us, more than focusing simply on being filled with the Spirit, which is something of a nebulous concept and has led to all kinds of misapplications and abuses. So if we're, if we're filled by the Spirit, what is the Spirit seeking to fill us with? Well, Paul has already talked about fullness in this letter. In Ephesians 1.23, he says, the church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says, the goal of Christian maturity is the fullness of Christ. And in verse 19 of the third chapter, he says, he prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So the Spirit wants to fill us with the fullness of God. I mean, to be filled with the Spirit, what, it, you get this picture being filled with some, some fluid substance, some spiritual gel. This, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, and that's just not helpful. But there are, there are many times that people talk about being filled with the Spirit in that manner. Now, let's get some clarity. The Spirit wants to fill us with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, with the fullness of of Christ, with the fullness of God. And that's exactly, don't we see that happening when we sing? We see Christ more clearly. We see God more clearly. That's the Spirit's work. So to be filled by the Spirit is to let the Spirit change us more and more into the image of God and the image of Christ. And Paul contrasts that with being drunk with wine. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he makes that contrast not because they're similar. You know, get drunk with wine, now you get drunk with the Spirit, and some people have interpreted it that way. That's not what he's saying. He contrasts it because they're different, and they have vastly different effects. Being under the influence of wine, Paul says it leads to debauchery. It leads to sensuality. It, while being under the influence of the Spirit leads to things like fellowship and, and gratefulness and obeying the will of the Lord and, and self-control. Wine, getting drunk with wine, leads to living as children of darkness, while being filled by the Spirit leads to living as children of of light. And so then Paul lists four activities that reflect the implications or the descriptions of being filled with the Spirit. We just read them. They're addressing one another in verse 19 in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Two, we're singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. Three, we're giving thanks always and, every, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And four, we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we're going to talk about the first three tonight because the fourth is a transition into the next section where Paul talks about life in the household of God. Now it's not completely clear whether these 
activities are results of being filled by the Spirit or causes of being filled by the Spirit. So it's not exactly clear. Like, okay, so once we're filled with the Spirit, then, then we'll do these things. That's one way of looking at it. Or God wants us to be filled by the Spirit, so we do these things in order for that to take place. Do you see the difference? So I'm going to talk about it both ways. Sometimes you'll hear me speaking of being filled by the Spirit as something that is the result of doing these things, and sometimes it's the cause of doing these things. And if I were to sum up what I'm going to share tonight, it would be this way. Let's say it like this. Spirit-filled singing is meant to express and encourage our new life together in Christ for the glory of the Father. Singing, spirit-filled singing is meant to express and encourage our new life together in Christ for the glory of the Father. So, so let's look at what Paul associates with being spirit-filled. First activity is addressing one another. Addressing one another. Now, you'd think in a passage about worship and song that Paul would begin with God. So be filled with the Spirit and look to God. Think about Jesus. He's getting there, but he doesn't start there. He starts with addressing one another. The first focus of our singing as a spirit-filled activity, is addressing one another. Do you find that odd? When in our culture, to worship in song is often thought of as being in a hermetically sealed compartment and just having this relationship with you and Jesus. And that's not what Paul's describing here. He's saying you're to address one another. Colossians 3.16, the parallel passage, fills that out, says we're teaching and admonishing one another, we're instructing each other, we're teaching, we're edifying, we're building each other up as we sing. Are you aware that that's taking place when we sing? Like it's not just about my experience with God, it's about what I'm receiving from others and what others are, are giving to me, uh, uh, what I'm giving to others. So here's, here's what it looks like. We're, we're singing together, as we just were doing. We're all hearing each other's voices. We're addressing one another. Or we could be taking turns singing to one another. There used to be this song we were talking about a few days ago. You are holy. You are holy. You are mine. You are mine. Okay, yeah. That's okay, good. All right, yeah. All right, what are we doing? We're addressing one another. It can happen that way. It can be a leader addressing a congregation and the congregation speaking back to the leader. So this morning we were singing, You Alone Are God. So we were addressing one another. It's real easy to see there. It might be listening to a soloist. We've had a lot of questions about special music in the conference. And uh, there's a girl on our team always tells me that every song is special, Bob. <laughs> and I agree, every song is special. It's just a phrase that we use to describe when someone is singing for the congregation. That's, that's addressing one another. It's one person addressing the congregation in a way that causes their hearts to turn to Christ and to see his glory. So in all those ways, we can be addressing one another. And what, what we learn from this is that the primary musical sound at our meetings should be our voices joined together, every heart participating. We're all, even as we're listening, we're participating. We're seeking to focus on Jesus Christ and his glory. Even as we're singing all together. Now what, what hinders that? What's going to hinder addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in a way that, that builds others up? Well, here's some of the things that hinder that. Singing songs that lack biblical substance or doctrinal depth. I, I would strongly encourage you to 
review your song repertoire or the songs you've been singing the last six months. Look at them carefully and say, should we be singing these words to each other? Are these words, re- are we really, are these words really worth being addressing to others? Because if they aren't, then we lose that whole aspect. We forget that that's one of the purposes as we gather. It's one of the things the Spirit wants to do, enable us to address one another. Something else that hinders it is singing the entire time with our eyes closed. I shared, I think, in the seminar earlier. Was that here this morning? I can't remember. It was here in the seminar. Thank you. Uh, You know, Paul Balash wrote the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I think I'd like to write a song called Open the Eyes of My Face, Lord. Because, because we have this idea that this is what God likes the most. <laughs> I just find that hard to believe, that, that God just wants us to shut everybody out. Like, what are we saying? I wish you weren't here. I wish you would just shut up and just let me be alone with Jesus. I'm trying to worship, can't you see? And what Paul is saying is, you got it all wrong. Like, if the Spirit's filling you, you're going to address one another. You're going to be aware that it's a good thing that we're together, singing alone and just wanting to sing alone. Now, that's a good activity. It's a great activity. It's commended in Scripture. But if that's all we want to do, we don't want to sing with the congregation, well, that'll be a hindrance to addressing one another. One time I thought um, singing in the Spirit meant everyone singing in tongues. And while I believe the gift of tongues still exists today, I think it's either for private prayers or for specific interpretation. Otherwise, we won't be addressing one another like that because it's meant to build up. It's meant to instruct. It's meant to edify. And that's what it's meant to do. We're addressing one another how? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, no one's exactly sure what distinctions Paul is drawing here. Those three words occur interchangeably in the subtitles of the Psalms. So some people have said, well, he's just talking about the Psalms. I don't think that's what that means. The word for psalm comes with the Greek word psalmos, from a word meaning to sing with a stringed instrument. It could refer to the Old Testament Psalter, but it's also the word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he says, and this is the way it's translated in most Bibles, each one has a hymn. Now, hymns were generally songs of praise to God, and spiritual songs were songs inspired by the Spirit. But there's a lot of ways people (coughs) interpret those three words. Here's what we know. Taken together, God is saying that we're to address one another with all the songs that the Spirit might inspire. Different kinds of songs. And haven't we seen that here? I mean, really, we got Matt, we got Doxa, we got Dustin, we have the big choir tonight. It's all very different. Well, that's good because no one style of music can adequately express the glories of God. And no one style of music can adequately communicate the appropriate responses to God. So we need different kinds of music to do that. So Paul says, use psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we see that in the Bible. The songs that are in Scripture, that worship God, that are used for praise to God, they might be short, they might be long, they might be simple, complex. Soft, loud, formal, informal, written 300 years ago or three minutes ago. So we have Psalm 119 with 176 verses. We have Psalm 117 with 28 words. They're both appropriate for us to address one another. There's a time for singing holy, 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 and there's a time for singing happy day. There's a time for singing in Christ alone, rich theological concepts, and there's a time for singing, there is a redeemer, Jesus God's own son. 
Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. And the chorus, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and sending your Spirit till the work on earth is done. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's old. It's good. (laughs) It's a time for singing How Great Thou Art, traditional hymn, and How Great Is Our God. We want to find all the ways we can of addressing one another to communicate the glories of God in Jesus Christ. So being spirit-filled encourages and expresses our addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's what else it does. It encourages and expresses singing to the Lord. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So now the, the focus shifts, if you will, or maybe we should say another focus is added, and that's to the Lord. Because really, it's one activity with two focuses, one another and the Lord or Christ. Now, it's significant that in Colossians 3.16, Paul says that we're to sing to God. And here, he says we're to sing to the Lord. It's one of the ways interchanging the names of God and Jesus Christ, that he makes us aware that Jesus is indeed God. So singing to the Lord, how do, we, how do we do that? How is that accomplished? Well, evidently and most obviously, it's accomplished through, word, through songs that we sing directly to the Lord. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. It's to him. But we don't have to sing to the Lord directly to sing to the Lord. To make melody in our heart to the Lord. Think of this song. Before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. See, I'm addressing you, but in my heart, I'm singing and making melody to the Lord. It's both at the same time. So don't get caught up in, oh, is it to the Lord or not to the Lord? Oh, what is, I want to be to the, to the Lord. It's both. It's both. The important thing is that the Spirit enables us to make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing that God enables us to do that by His Spirit? We're not just, this isn't a, what are some kind of groups where you just get together? We're not just singing around a campfire. You know, when you're in high school, you get out of a campfire, and everybody like pulls out the guitar, and we just start singing just like dumb songs. That's not what we're doing. We're singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, which means that we are aware of his presence. We're aware that he hears us and that we desire him to be pleased with our songs. It's authentic. It's the difference between singing with faith and singing without faith. And that that makes all the difference. We're not performing for each other. Even if we're on a stage, we're not performing for anyone. We are singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. We're not trying to outdo the church down the street that has incredible resources and amazing lights and like their musical bench is 10 deep. We're not, we're not worrying about that. We're singing to the Lord because 
We've been filled by His Spirit, and we desire to be filled by His Spirit. And in the process, we become more, of the, more aware of the Spirit's work to magnify Christ for the glory of the Father. Which is, which is why I think Paul says, we're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's not just our lips. We're not just singing with our lips. We're singing and making melody with our hearts. Now that means that we're singing with all our heart. We're singing with all our being. We're singing with our mind and our emotions and our body because singing is designed for that very purpose. Singing is meant to be a whole body experience that stirs up and expresses our emotions. John Piper said this, singing is the Christian's way of saying God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling and talking will not suffice. There must be singing. There must be singing. Wouldn't this be a different conference if we just came into this room and recited lyrics together? Wouldn't that feel different? It's because singing engages our emotions. And it adds weight and impact to the truths that we're singing. So what happens if we walk into the room and we don't feel like singing? Has that ever happened? Maybe here, you just, I don't feel like singing. What, what if you feel distant from God or unaffected by God? How do I sing with all my heart? Or sing with my heart? Well, this is how we ask God to give us longings for him, to put those longings in our heart. We ask God to increase our desire to find our joy in him. We ask God to break our hearts over the fact that we don't feel anything for him. And that's worship. And that's a sign of the Spirit's activity in our hearts. Singing with your heart doesn't mean that we'll be in a constant state of enthusiasm and excitement, which we need to remember. This verse clues us into the relative importance of voices and instruments. God certainly wants to be praised with trumpets and guitars and tambourines and strings and synths and drums. But those are always intended to support and encourage and complement singing with our hearts. In the New Testament, in fact, in all of Scripture, singing is always emphasized over playing instruments. And I say that as a pianist. What I want to do with my musical instrumental ability is to support faith-filled addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. That's what I want to do. Because if I haven't done that, I'm not serving the purpose for which God has called me to stand in front of people and use my instrument. It's for them. It's for their faith-filled singing. So this is good to realize. We don't need guitars, drums, basses, keyboards, or other instruments to worship God in song. God can use them, and I'm thankful that he does, but he doesn't need them, which is why I would encourage you, if you're leading in your church on a Sunday, to have some point in your Sunday meeting where you're just letting the voices take it. It may seem a little awkward at first, but once people realize that that's what's supposed to be heard, you'd be surprised how that singing and making melody to the Lord with their heart is filled with the Spirit, and it comes out in power and joy. And it's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful sound. So what role do instruments play? I thought I might just say a word about that, in case you were wondering about job security. Instruments instruments, here's what they do. They help us stay together. They help us stay together. They help us sing in tune so that we don't just gradually just get flatter and flatter and flatter. And they encourage an emotional response that's appropriate to what we're singing. So, so when David Zimmer's back there on the drums and he 
you know, just kind of lets loose. You, and it's, it's, it's as we're responding to the Lord in exuberant praise, well, that, that encourages it. It's like, yes, I can't be loud enough. Thank you for helping me remember that that Jesus is so glorious, even that can't touch how worthy he is, and I want to add my voice to it, and that's what, that's what the instruments do. They should do, anyway, which is entirely different from musical emotional manipulation. It's totally different. Nobody's singing, okay, we're going to put in three modulations in this song. That will get people singing. No, it will make people die from singing too high. That's what it will do. All right, the third activity of being spirit-filled. We talked about how it, it helps us, uh, the spirit enables us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and, and as we do that, we are filled by the spirit with the glory of Christ. How the spirit enables us to sing and make melody to, to the Lord with our heart, and as we do that, the spirit fills us with the glory and the fullness of Jesus the Father. And the third thing is giving thanks to God the Father. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need the Spirit for this. We need the Spirit for this. Giving thanks, he talks about two ways we're to give thanks. What are they? Always, that's hard, and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. And while, while we've just been speaking about singing, Paul is probably enlarging the focus to include our prayers as well. To give thanks means that we are trusting in God's sovereign wisdom. We're, we're trusting in his goodness. We're trusting in his power. And that's why our singing and our lives as Christians are not to be predominantly about our problems and our hardships and our trials and our difficulties. Because God is sovereign. God is wise. And God is good all the time and the main reason we can give thanks always and for everything is because we realize that our greatest problem has been taken care of it's no longer an issue we're no longer objects of God's wrath we're no longer his enemies we're objects of his mercy through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We are God's children. There's new meaning after last night's, CJ's message last night. We're objects of mercy. We're children of light to whom God will show immeasurable riches of grace in the age to come. And because we are in Christ, we always approach God as a father, one who loves us. As CJ told us last night, personally, particularly, and passionately. Sometimes we approach God as judge, omnipotent ruler, the sovereign, transcendent one, and he is all of those. And then other times we approach God or think of God as uninvolved, uncaring, unaware, and he is none of those. This is what is true for every Christian. In Christ, God is our loving Father who passionately and personally loves us. How odd it would be if as my children were growing up, I took one of them out for a meal at a restaurant to celebrate their birthday because I wanted to bless them. And as, as we're getting started, they, they look at me with fear in their eyes and they say, Dad, is it okay if I get a Coke rather than just water this time? Or if they didn't even ask me because they, they just assume I would say no. 
or if they decided they would just buy a Coke out of their own money because they didn't expect me to do it. What, what would that do to me as a father? I would say, you don't know my heart. You don't know how much I want to bless you. You don't know how much I want to give you, how much I want to lavish you with my love. And yet, how often do we approach God with that mindset? That's why this last phrase is so important. We give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is much more than tacking on in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. The name of Jesus stands for all he is. So it's similar to saying in Jesus Christ. We are joining in on Jesus' praise to the Father. The Son glorifies the Father and sings his praise in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ means that all our singing is mediated and accepted through Christ. This is how John Calvin put it. This is from Mike Reeves' book, Delighting in the Trinity. John Calvin said that we pray as it were through Jesus' mouth. The Father has always longed to hear the prayers of his dear Son, and we pray in his name. The Son gives us his name to pray in so that we pray as him. That relationship between the Father and the Son is what we have been brought in to enjoy, and in prayer, that's what we do, and singing as well. So once again, prayer is exercising faith, believing God's almost incredible promise that we can come to him even though our coldness and guilt screams otherwise, we must believe the Most High is our loving Father. Spirit-filled singing never loses sight of Jesus, the Lord, the crucified Messiah, sacrificed to endure God's punishment in our place, now gloriously risen from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand, interceding for us. And it is this Jesus who has made us children of God. And it's his will that the Spirit helps us understand and want to follow. It is his love that we are to know. It is his name that we are to worship. So Christians, filled by the Spirit, give thanks to God the Father on the basis of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. And if that doesn't impart faith to you for what we do when we sing, then we're not hearing what Paul's saying here. So a few reflections on how this relates to our triune God. We've been talking about how the Spirit fills us through these activities, through addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, through singing and making melody to the Lord, and through giving thanks. said earlier that spirit-filled singing is meant to express and encourage our new life together in Christ for the glory of the Father. Every prayer, every song that God hears from us is offered up through Jesus Christ in the Spirit to the Father. We pray and sing to the Father through the mediation of Jesus, the Son, in the enabling power of the Spirit. And when we pray with that in view, we're building on what's actually happening, not only in our singing and praying, but in our lives. Paul had said earlier in, in chapter 2, verse 18, for through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul and the New Testament writers regularly make these distinct distinctions because they want us to understand what's going on. They want us to understand so that our faith can be built for what we're doing so we don't see this as, oh, I just got to try and make it to God. Oh, no, no, no. God himself is bringing us to him. Father, Son, and Spirit. So, so listen to the massive difference it makes when we take the Trinity out of the prayers of the New Testament. I do not cease to give thanks for you that God may give you wisdom and revelation in knowing him. This is how Paul wrote it. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's different, isn't it? Listen to this. For this reason I bow my knees before God, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being so that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul could have written it like that. He didn't. This is how he wrote it. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Oh, that's so amazing. Christ dwell in my heart? If you're a Christian, he does. And we need God to help us, Father, Son, and Spirit, to help us understand this. Now, we don't have to constantly reference the Father, Son, and Spirit for our songs and prayers to be Trinitarian. They can be no other way. It's the way it is. And how encouraging to know that when we don't have the right words and phrases, when, our, when we seem to stutter and stumble, or we, we say the wrong lyrics, when, we, when we're praying and we keep starting over after three sentences, and Jesus and the Spirit help us in our weakness. They pray the will of the Father using our at times faltering, repetitive, confusing, and disjointed prayers. And that builds our faith to want to pray more and to sing more. Listen to what Christopher Coxworth says. The confidence that God has given the Spirit to the church should not lead us to complacent assurance that authentic worship will automatically happen simply by virtue of the fact that we are the church. It should compel us to enter more deeply into the gift God has given so that our worship can be truly inspired by virtue of the fact that the Spirit is breaking us out of our preoccupation with ourselves and taking us into the love which Christ has for God. Now we can pray and sing to the Son because He is God. He invites our prayers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that we are those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so we don't want to get caught up in, oh, am I saying the right name? Is, is the Father worried that I'm talking too much about Jesus? And what about the Spirit? And we don't need to think that way at all. We can pray and sing to the Spirit because He's fully God. But when we do... We want to ask him to do those things he delights in doing, not simply ask him to send the fire <laughs> or fall down on us. He's God the Spirit. He wants to work in our hearts. He wants to fill us with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He wants us to know him better. He wants us to love him more. And we can ask him to do that. Paul has been describing how we're called to live lives that are distinctly different from the world around us. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. And spirit-filled singing has the effect of encouraging that life separating us from the world, as well as strengthening our unity in Christ. The fullness of the Spirit can be only fully experienced in community. And when we pray and sing to the triune God, we enjoy not only fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, but with each other as well. And the unity that we experience in our singing and praying reminds us that we worship not three gods, but one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We, we worship with one act of adoration to the triune God who designed, accomplished, and applied to our hearts this glorious plan of redemption that God might have a people who love and joy and worship Him forever. 
God intends for us to relate to him as the one God and distinctly as Father, Son, and Spirit. And when we think of the one, we will always be led to the other. An early church father, Gregory of Nazianza, said, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. How well do we know God? However well we know him, he wants us to know him better. And through addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit will ensure that we know him better. I want to finish with a hymn by Isaac Watts, and then we're going to have the band and the choir join us to lead us in singing and praying to this great God. And and as we do, we will never want to lose sight of what is of first importance. The Father is most honored when we join him in treasuring, exalting, delighting in, and obeying his precious Son, to whom he has given the name above all names. And as we're filled by the Spirit, we will see more clearly the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is how Isaac Watts put it. We give immortal praise to God the Father's love. For all our comforts here and better hopes above, he sent his own eternal son to die for sins that man had done. To God the Son belongs immortal glory too, who bought us with his blood from everlasting woe. And now he lives and now he reigns and sees the fruit of all his pains. To God the Spirit's name, immortal worship give, whose new creating power makes the dead sinner live. His work completes the great design and fills the soul with joy divine. Almighty God, to thee be endless honors done, the undivided three and the mysterious one. Where reason fails, With all her powers, their faith prevails and love adores. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.